Hello and welcome to the LSAT Demon Daily. My name is Eric. I am a teacher and tutor with the LSAT Demon. With me is Francesca Civilotti. She's also a teacher and tutor with the Demon. How are you doing today, Francesca? I'm great, Eric. How are you doing? Doing well. So we're talking today because you had a student who recently shared I guess what you might call a bit of study shaming, like someone had told them that they were studying for the LSAT wrong, and it prompted a discussion that we thought was important for listeners to hear. So why don't you tell me what you heard from this student? Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought this was definitely noteworthy because um, I think that it's pretty common to have these ideas of like stuff floating around. It's like, oh, you're going about this the wrong way. But um this was one of my tutoring students uh, who had heard from somebody also studying from the test. They made some comment about formal logic. And my student was like, oh, what's formal logic? And then, you know, his, his study buddy was like, you don't know what formal logic is? And then it was kind of like, I think that, you know, you're going about this the wrong way. You got to know what this is. And my student was kind of just asking me, like, so what is formal logic? Like, what am I missing here? And I was like, man, you're not missing anything. Like, you're, you're doing formal logic. You don't know that you're doing it because you're not calling it that, but you don't need to actually know that to be doing the LSAT right. Yeah. Obviously, the LSAT engages you logically. You 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 have to use logic to ace the LSAT. What do you think this other student meant by formal logic? Yeah, when we think about formal logic, we're thinking about things like if P, then Q, not Q, therefore not P, stuff like that. These abstract statements about what must be true. I'm thinking about old philosophy professors that I've had that talk about pink elephants and inferences and contrapositives. That's what comes to mind when I think about formal logic. That's what I think people mean about that. I mean, you can take classes in this. It's, a, it's an area of study, formal logic. Yeah. But you don't need to know those rules you don't need to know them in the context of this framework of knowledge in order to know the things that must be true when people use logic in everyday context. And that's kind of the intuitive approach that we're talking about in yeah. LR with the demon, right? Yeah, I think of I think of it as an just an abstracted way of representing what otherwise makes perfect sense if you just think clearly and read critically. What you said, exactly. like, if P, then Q, that, that is my impression as well of what might be meant by formal logic. There's a lot that probably ends up looking like math equations, which is just not necessary. Another one that I think a lot of students run into in their LSAT prep is a lot of discussion about the contrapositive and various ways of screwing up the contrapositive, whether it's a mistaken reversal or a mistaken negation and a lot of that language you just don't need to engage with in order to understand the test because i think what it's important to note that on the lsat even though you should understand what a sufficient condition is and what a necessary condition is for the most part answer choices are going to be given to you in a like an english language kind of way if the flaw on an LSAT question is that it mistakes sufficient for necessary, I would say most of the time, the correct answer is not going to be something that uses those words sufficient and necessary, but actually presents the flaw in a way that's like fails to consider the possibility that, you know, 
not all elephants are pink or whatever it is. It actually uses the, the language from the original argument. So like you just you don't need to abstract your thinking. Yeah. And I think that that's actually, first of all, if you're listening to this and you're like mistaken reversal, like I have no idea what these people are talking about. Our whole point is you don't need to know what we're talking about when we're saying this. So don't worry about that if that means nothing to you, because it kind of is just gibberish and you're capable of understanding the stuff that we're referring to without having that language for it. But also, I think that a big idea from what you're saying there is just you got to understand the language that the LSAT uses, right? For example, sufficient condition. That shows up on the test. You have to know what it means when the test asks you about that. But it's never going to ask you about, you know, identify the mistaken reversal going on here, right? That's the stuff that different segments of the LSAT industry or uh, professors or academics, things like that, that's sort of the language that's overlaying on top of this. And in a sense, it kind of makes me feel like it's a bit of gatekeeping going on, where it's like, let's overcomplicate this. Let's make it so that you need somebody who understands the difference between these things to explain it to you. But you don't need that, right? And it sounds a bit counterintuitive coming from an LSAT teacher, but it's like, this is a lot more simple than what a lot of the prep test companies out there are making you think that it is. For sure. I think the probably the best analogy I can think of is in music, where you don't need to know how to read music in order to play music. Whether it's reading music, which is just an abstracted representation of music, or understanding music theory, like you don't need formal education in those things in order to be a kick-ass musician. Yeah. And so to like complain to somebody who is playing music really well, oh, you're doing that wrong because you're like can't tell me which chord shape you're using or you aren't like reading off of a sheet of music just doesn't make sense. Like you're playing music either way. And also knowing how to read music doesn't matter if you don't take the time to like read it accurately. Yes. So it's more important to just be careful and engage with the music or with the test in like a common sense deliberate methodical way rather than get hung up on the theory behind it all yeah and i can imagine some people who have really who have been thinking a lot about the lsat that are listening to this going hold on that's not a perfect analogy because maybe you'll play music better when you understand the theory behind it and to that i would say maybe that's true if you're trying to be you know a composer or you know top of the game but the thing is that you don't need to like be able to write lsat questions yourself you you just need to be able to basically identify a couple frequently recurring melodies and, you know, so to speak, play them yourself. And that doesn't require this in-depth understanding of formal logic. And to the person who who said this, I mean, if they happen to be listening, you know, I would say it's not a criticism of this person of that it's saying, oh, you're not using formal logic, you're doing it wrong. Because I'd say that that person has fallen prey to this mindset that's only overcomplicating things for themselves. So compassion to that person out there. <laughs> Yeah, keep things simple for yourself as much as you can. Yeah. All right, thanks, Francesca. Awesome talking with you today. You too. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to share any LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening. Thanks.